Good. Well, that, uh, we're welcome again, and uh, we welcome very much Professor Dayafusu, who has been a guest here before, but before before most of you were born, no, before most of you came, um, uh, and since he came last time, he's um, with others has established the, uh, as you see here, the India Media Center at Westminster University, which he co-directs. He's been for some years the Professor of International Communications. He's uh, extremely well known in that field. Indeed, in some ways, he's helped create that field. Uh, he's written a number of books. The latest one, I think, but I will correct me if I'm wrong, is, is News and Entertainment of 2008. Before that, one which has gone through at least two, maybe more editions, was uh, International Communications Continuity and Change, which first came out about 10, 11 years ago, and then, yeah, and then was, was re reissued in 2006. So he's, um, he bestrides the world of international global communications like a colossus. Um, and But from, I think, his latest book, uh, this soft news, hard sell, um, journalism in neoliberal India is derived. It's of interest to us all. In fact, it came up this morning. We had a uh, discussion this morning uh, with uh, Zhao Kangyang on China. And one of the themes uh, of the discussion was how um, a budding investigative tradition in China, uh, really from the 90s onwards, um, not exactly died, although he did use the word death, but certainly has been diminished very much in the last, above all the last five years, but in the, in the last decade, and has been replaced by much more tabloid uh, entertainment. You will know the story, no doubt. So it's, it's very, very much in our minds, and we're looking forward very much to your talk. Thank you, and thank you, John, for a very generous <coughs> introduction. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be here. Thank you, James and David, for inviting me. Um, as John said, um, I'm going to talk about soft news um, and in the context of India. But before I talk about India, I would like to kind of contextualize it and the broader trends um, in news, particularly in television news. Because um, in the context of India, um, internet penetration remains very limited. Um, Seven percent is the official figure. An official figure may be slightly higher, but still, that means more than ninety percent people are not online. So, um, Twitter and, and Facebook, and um, you know, all that online media is of interest to a tiny minority people with access to the internet. Unlike television, which is a mass media. And so what's happening to television news, uh, I think becomes very important in terms of um, its impact on the public sphere. So I'm going to start with this international situation um, and then go on to talk about India and end with some reflections on um, implications of the soft news. Um, let me start with uh, something which I, I, I expect all of you are familiar with, um, the delightfully subversive um, cartoon series, Simpsons, which is now on, I don't know, 10th, 11th series. There's one particular 
episode, which I recommend um, those of you interested in journalism to watch, where um, Lisa Simpson uh, is tasked to produce a student newspaper for one of her school, school newspaper. And she comes up with all kinds of worthy and you know meaningful stories. Uh, and his, her teacher is bewildered because you know it's not what students want to read. Um, and her classmates are very uncomfortable with working on those projects with her. And then her older brother, um, Bart Simpson comes up with a totally different set of ideas about what will be a good story for a student newspaper, school newspaper. Um, and you know, it's a rolling success, the teachers are happy, all the school uh, classmates are happy because the story which, uh, uh, stories which are interesting for uh, most of the children and their teachers. Now if we look at um, where this has actually come from, this whole idea of, of um, soft news. I think we have to go back to its origin, which is the United States of America. For reasons I don't need to elaborate, the whole system of media, especially television media and news particularly, has been from its very inception in the United States, driven by commercial imperatives. Um, that also happened with radio, by the way. You mentioned, I mean, expansion of radio was commercial, as was television. Quite a contrast from what's, um, what, what happened in Europe or in many other countries. Now, one recent change, which is particularly relevant, I think, is um, what's happened to the main news networks in the United States. Um, news networks, main news networks, mainstream news networks are owned by corporations whose primary interest is not in news, whose primary interest is in entertainment. So for example, uh, until very recently, Viacom um, used to own CBS News the most serious of network news in the United States. Viacom is not known for news, it is known for anybody? MTV, right? Mm -hmm. Not known for news, right? Um, ABC News, as we all know, is part of Disney. Um, Disney is known for news, it's made its money um, through entertainment, children's entertainment mostly. CNN, um, not AOL, that's an should be taken out now because they're split, AOL Time Warner is split, but it's part of Time Warner, um, until recently the largest media conglomerate in the world, uh, primary interest entertainment, not news. And how can we forget our friend New, um, Rupert Murdoch, um, whose Fox News has transformed arguably transformed broadcast journalism in the United States and in fact brought this idea of soft news to broadcasters around the world. More on that later. Um, now this shift in ownership um, is also reflected on the content of news networks. 
increasingly what you see is more of entertainment driven stories um, in the news that news uh, content um, and arguably aimed at promoting corporate synergies. <coughs> so that's one set of problems. The ownership structure has changed. This has happened over the last decade and a half. The main television networks are owned by companies whose primary interest is companies. Then you have another problem, which is the audiences. Um, it's an interesting contradiction that one level you have this massive proliferation of news outlets, hundreds of channels, online media, all kinds of um, different ways of accessing news, um, and fragmentation of audience, which also translates into fragmentation of advertising revenue. Remember, in a commercial media system, advertising is absolutely central. Younger people particularly are not watching television news because they can get their news from other sources. And that's bad news for advertisers. Because when you get to my age, you know, it's very difficult to change your habits. When you are my daughter's age, it's flexible. So advertisers want young people to watch their programs. Um, in the US, there has been a, a, a steady and quite dramatic decline for audiences um, for peak time news, television news. 85% in, in the height of 1969 to 29% in 2005. This is um, a kind of long-term, um, longitudinal data uh, taken from the um, state of uh, journalism report in the US. Looks at ABC World News, CBS Evening News, and NBC Nightly News, three major news networks, uh, news programs, sorry. And you see a steady decline in ratings. So if you are a broadcast journalist, or a news manager, you have a problem. You have pressure from the managers or the owners and you have a declining audience. What do you do? You start making news more entertaining to remain in this highly competitive and fiercely, um, you know, kind of, I mean, almost vicious. The, the, the competition is all, I'll come to that more in the context of India, but it's not very different in other places. Uh, in India, it's bigger because the market is more complicated. So I want to just very briefly talk about what happens then when marketization becomes the most important ingredient. How do you deal with stories? What kind of stories you cover and how? And I'm drawing here uh, on the work of a uh, distinguished American um, uh, economist who's done work on media. Um, news in a marketplace. 
decision making process among news directors, this is what the phrase um, this author uses to describe people who make those decisions, about what constitutes news depends on audience interests, costs of assembling stories, what are the expectations of readers or viewers, and finally, how are our competitors going to cover this story? It's interesting if you look at look at current story. Look at um, you know what's happening in um, Libya. You see a, a lot of very similar stories because you're conscious. What is my rival doing? I need to cover that story because if I don't, I will have problems with my boss back back at editorial desk. versus hard news. Soft news defined here as programs with low levels of public affairs information. So Britney Spears has a haircut. Interesting story, but very little, arguably very little public affairs information there. But when, when she did it, it was headline news. Uh, you know, it was not only in the blogs, but also television news and elsewhere. Against hard news, which is defined as news with high levels of public affairs information. Now, in a, in a market-driven system, soft, entertaining news is likely to fare better because broadcasters sell audiences to advertisers. <coughs> Not a particularly original argument, but, but a relevant one, nevertheless. Why soft new cells? Soft news programs will be more prevalent if advertisers value these, those viewers more highly. And demographics is important here. If program, programmers pay less for soft news, then they will be more likely to program this type of information. You know, cost becomes very important, uh, especially for television, especially for live television. Every second you are on live television, you are paying the satellite. It costs a huge amount of money. It is much simpler to invite a few people from the local university or an NGO, bring them into the studio, have a discussion, you got half an hour cut. You can use agency copy to fill the rituals. So cost becomes very, very important. As the number of channels increases, the number of soft news programs will increase. And this is um, something you know I've tried to map in my book. The number of soft news shows grows as the number of viewers attracted to this genre increases. Um, a good example would be reality TV. And how what happens in reality TV programs gets into mainstream news. It's a kind of uh, a byproduct something which is cheap, not just in the aesthetics, but also 
in terms of cost. It's very easy to get few people in a room and ask them to act oddly, film them live. You have a program. So what you have is a self-perpetuating cycle. As the number of viewers attracted to programs with low public affairs content increases, profits from offering this type of programming will attract more channels into this market. As the number of viewers of soft news programming increases, holding other factors constant, programmers will find it more profitable to offer shows with low public affairs content to attract these viewers. Um, I've taken it from uh, this book, which I recommend you look at, although very American study, but very useful one. All the news that's fit to sell, how the market transforms information into news, by James Hamilton. Uh, yeah, published in 2003. Um, now, as I said, this is a very American study. The examples I've given you so far mostly are American. And I think that's important because what happens in America has an implication to journalism around the world. Um, in the contests between the kind of public service media and commercial media, um, the commercial side seems to be winning. To the extent that people are now talking, of, now talking about the triumph of the liberal model. Um, I tried to put it um, in this global context in this book, which came out um, a few years back, where I looked at um, what it means to news, uh, television news in, in, in the Western world, um, public service broadcasting in Europe, how that is being undermined in countries like former Soviet Union, and even in China, this increasing commercialization of news. Um, Supergirl is one of the most popular programs on television in China because it is politically safe and it brings audiences. And what I call the Bollywoodization of news, so that's what's going to be the focus of my talk, um, is what's happening to the largest and perhaps most complex television news market in the world. Now, some of you may not know this, so it's worth repeating that until 1991, India had one state-controlled television channel. It wasn't just monopoly, it was state monopoly. And news on what is called Doordarshan, the, the, the official network, was little more than the official propaganda of the leader in power or the political party in power. It wasn't dictatorship in the sense that many other countries had, but it was reflecting the official position. Today, um, there are um, 80 plus channels and counting, uh, soon to touch three figures. Now, these are 24-7 news channels. These are 80 news channels. 80 news channels. Total channels are in the range of 500 plus. This is new, these are news channels. And these are 24-7 news channels. In different languages. In different languages. Um, but if 
one was to kind of characterize these. Of course, it's wrong to generalize. There are all kinds of channels. Some of them are good, some of them are, most of them are not good. Uh, one thing which you see common across the channels is this. Um, <laughs> on the news channels. Yes, exactly. That's that's the point. It is um, that's why I call it Bollywoodization. Now, of course, Bollywood is, as you probably know, the largest film factory in the world. They produce about thousand films in a year. Have been doing that for the last thirty years. Um, Nigeria produces. But they're not, they're not feature films, only, they are video, yeah. they're not even, yes, but they're not feature films, these are feature films, and they're also, I mean, Hollywood, yeah, um, and they've been increasingly defining popular culture, and also culture of journalism, especially broadcast journalism. This is also a major industry um, aimed, uh, projected to, to be worth $29 billion. One has to be careful about those figures because uh, these are industry figures. But you get a sense of the, the, the range, the, the kind of, we're talking about billions, not millions here, and we're talking dollars, not rupees. Television remains most important media nearly half of advertising revenue comes from television. As you also know, India is pretty strong on software, a major IT industry, uh, outsourcing industry. So they found new ways of delivering this content. It's not just going through standard cinemas, but it's also going through various digital mechanisms and therefore being increasingly globalized. And most interestingly, I, I think from the perspective of international uh, journalism, international communication, is what is happening between the largest film producing factory and the richest. Um, there are now interesting connections. Is money coming from Hollywood for Indian films and perhaps more interestingly this Indian money going into Hollywood um, at a level uh, which is the top end. Uh, we're talking about Spielbergs of the world. He's uh, making films for um, producers based in India. Now, of course, there are other cinemas in India also. It's a very, very big, complex country, different languages, different traditions of cinema. But I use Bollywoodization as a, a term which encompasses what's happening across the world. There might be in Tamil Nadu, for example, in southern India, you might have Tamil actors rather than Bollywood actors. It's a big Tamil film industry. But essentially, it's not very different in terms of growing um, quotient of entertainment in mainstream news, not in not in entertainment news. There are there are at least two dedicated channels which only produce Bollywood. But I'm talking about mainstream news channels where they are increasingly using material 
Dwapar, which is drawn or inspired by uh, the popular Hindi cinema. Um, and because there are so many channels, as I say, 80 in the last count, um, there is intense competition. And it's cutthroat. And because the audience is so cynical, I would say very clever, so they can, you know, so they have to be constantly bringing out new material to keep the audience, or you know, at least to keep the audience, or, or not to lose it. The competition is so stiff that this is uh, this is an example of um, a whole session organised by um, this is a famous conference, uh, Fiki's Federation of Indian Chambers of Commerce and Industry. They have an annual conference called Frames. It happens uh, around uh, around this time. Uh, in, uh, in this is in Mumbai, I think. Yes, and um, they have a whole session about war of TV news. It is so intense that editor. I mean, I, I have to chalk this. There's a whole, whole list of people who were participating in this, and they were the top editors of elite. Channels, not talking of the popular channels, elite channels, and they are worried that they, they, you know, they have to keep um, into this very, very competitive field. The, one of the problems is you don't know, and, and that's one of the reasons we set up this India Media Center. You don't know exactly who is watching the channels. The systems to measure audiences is very primitive and deeply flawed. It's not, it, they're trying to copy the American system, but it is not quite there yet. So, um, you know, you have things like these. Um, you have, this Z News is one of the top news networks, part of a major conglomerate, in fact, one of the largest companies, media companies, claims to be top news channel. On the other hand, Ashtak, which is, um, has the largest audience share, actually, uh, according to industry data, um, claims that we've been top for last 10 years. And there's no way for a researcher like me, who doesn't actually live in India, although I can get some of these channels here, thanks to Mr. Murdoch, um, I don't know who to trust. And because there's this is intense competition, they are increasingly uh, bringing the power down, bringing more and more soft news, more and more Bollywoodized content to stay in the um, race. And as I said, um, how can we forget Mr. Murdoch, whose star TV was instrumental in transforming television culture in India. Star uh, was actually originally based in Hong Kong and still is based there, but they have a big operation in India called Star Plus. They also ran Star News until recently, which is now owned by an Indian conglomerate, a coalition, coalition of various um, Indian uh, organizations. And they've been, they were the first to be 24-7 news network in India. I've mentioned this because one of the areas where they have really specialized is crime reporting. So they mentioned of the four um, great reasons to celebrate. The last one is six successful years of the crime show Sun Sunny, which means literally sensation. And 
I don't know there are Indian students here, people who might know what I'm talking about, but this is one of the most ridiculous program. The guy who runs it shouts at you, he's got this long ponytail, and I, mean, I just saw it once, and I thought, how can people watch it? Well, it's not really being watched, it's one of the most popular programs. As you see here, they're saying this is one of the reasons why we've done so well. So crime is everywhere. And actually, in real India, crime has drastically declined because people are getting better off. There's more money. But if you were to drop into Delhi from some alien air, you know, aircraft and watch those 80 channels, you'd be scared. You'll think this is the most unsafe place on earth. Rape, murder, burglary, you name it, it's on television. And it is done in a way which is very much Bollywoodized. There's bad music, there is a camera angle. It's done to kind of frighten you. And because one channel does it, the second will go further and the third one a step further. The other major area where you see soft news is this. And it's, um, as you know, there's, uh, some of you will know, there's a World Cup going on in India, uh, Cricket World Cup. And, and cricket is, I mean, it's this obsession in India. Um, this is actually from radio, Big FM is a, it's a radio station owned by a major conglomerate. Um, Bollywood ka World Cup. SRK ya Sallu, kis ke liye khiloge? Bollywood's World Cup, will you play for SRK, which is Shah Rukh Khan, the top actors in Bollywood? Or Sallu is a short name, a short sort of pet name for another bit Bollywood star. Who will you play for? Now, this is, I was there last week, I was in India, and uh, the, the World Cup is full swing. Everywhere, virtually everywhere, you have cricket. On radio, newspapers, on television, on billboards, everywhere. Um, and it's not just confined to the sports section of news. It leads the news bulletin. And it's not just about sport. It's about the whole package. Whole package which is called cricketainment. It's cricket and entertainment. And it dominates the airwaves. Here, um, you have an example of that. Now, IPL is Indian Premier League, which is the most, what is the word, lucrative franchise in cricket in the world. Um, it's an interesting mixture of um, soccer in UK, the commercialization of soccer, and the American baseball. So you have pom-pom girls, you have uh, celebrities. For example, here you have um, a, a party organized for the game, and it's on television, live. Uh, on uh, The black suit is this guy called Shah Rukh Khan. He is the top actor in Bollywood. And on the other side, the t-shirt is the Harbhajan Singh, the famous uh, spinner, one of the best spinners in the world, in fact. Um, the, the fourth session of this IPL starts next month, and um, it's really geared for television. Sony paid something in the range of $1.94 billion to telecast these games. And these are not just, I mean, so you may not know about cricket. Cricket is, used to be a very gentlemanly game invented in this country. Uh, it used to be played for five days. And in fact, used to have a, this 
rest day, so you just go for six days. <laughs> and now, because of television, it's been confined to two hours. Right? It's 2020, and IPL is part of that shift. So in those two hours, you have um, tele, you know, you have cricket, which is really aimed to get maximum sensation. You have film stars. So this guy actually owns cricket club, and um, you have this um, incredible spectacle of those cricket uh, stars, not just Indians, but around the world, being auctioned live on television. Different clubs. Okay. So, SRK says, I'll pay one million for um, Peterson. Someone else says, we're going to do 1.5 million. And this is going live on television. Um, something which shocks people like me, but that's the reality. Then you have the corporate climate. Here you have um, Mr. Vijay Malia, who, is, uh, who owns a club uh, called Royal Challenges Bangalore, also is a, a well-known industrialist, flamboyant lifestyle. Uh, and with him is the Bollywood star, Preeti Zinta, who also owns a, um, a club called King's Eleven Punjab. Um, is shared by other people as well. She's part of So. A lot of big money has come into sport, and that big money is dictating how this is covered by news, particularly television. So remember the one I said at the beginning, this kind of ownership shift. So um, Reliance, which is one of the biggest corporations in India, owns a lot of interest in media, but they also own a um, cricket club called the Mumbai Indians and it will be interesting to see how their radio station or their newspaper or their television channel or channels of sympatheticism covers, covers this. You also have, um, so this is, these are examples of that soft news. It's got absolutely nothing to do with news but it dominates the news agenda. Here you have um, obsession with corruption. Now, corruption is, uh, Mrs. Gandhi, former Prime Minister of India, used to say, and I was a student at that time, I said she's just stupid. She used to say, corruption is a global phenomenon. And I used to say, well, you know, this is just silly things to say. And actually, having lived outside India, I traveled a little bit, and I said that she's absolutely right. It is a global phenomenon, it's a matter of degrees. But television news is absolutely obsessed with corruption. And this is a corruption of a particular variety. Very rarely would it explode, expose corporate corruption. It is obsessively concerned about government corruption, about corruption at you know petty level. Somebody took bribe for doing X or Y. That that makes it popular. But bigger corporate stories do not. I, I, I exaggerate. There are exceptions, but by and large, they do not get um, coverage. Uh, all three examples you see here are from government. But there's also corruption within the news <coughs> network, and that has now even reached Bollywood. Here are two examples. Um, two films made about television news, dedicated to television news. One, uh, the first one here called Ram, which means uh, battle, 
If you haven't seen it, I would recommend you do watch it. It's about uh, the ratings and what it means to uh, honest journalism and, and ethical journalism. And the other one is a light-hearted comedy, uh, which was actually India's official entry to Oscar last year. People Live, it's about a village where somebody, um, a peasant, is trying to commit suicide and the whole media circus descends on that village and that's the story how the media, television news particularly, covers it live. It's, um, it's an interesting reflection on, from Bollywood about what's happening to our television news. What is this one called? Ran. R-A-N-N. Ran is battle. R-A-N-N. Yes. Um, a more disturbing trend that um, I've seen, not just in the context of um, television news, is something which has been um, called paid news. This is an example from um, 2009 uh, elections in, in one of the provinces in India, where the government, the local government that is, actually bought editorial space and paid for it. It, they're not advertisements. Governments pay for advertisements, right? That's perfectly above board. But here they actually bought editorial space in several newspapers, extolling the virtues of the existing chief minister, who won, the election was coming, he won to uh, use in this media. Uh, subsequently, he had to resign because this became a major story to the extent that one of my PhD students is writing a thesis on this, the whole idea of paid news and what it means to journalism ethics, what it means to professionalism, what it means to, um, you know, democracy. So, what state is that? Sorry? What state? Maharashtra, which is um, where um, Mumbai is based, which is where, in fact, 40% of India's GDP comes from that state. It's a very, very rich state. And all the rich money, it's like London in the state. UK is very, very important. <coughs> so Chief Ministership of Maharashtra is very important politically and economically. And in fact, this was, um, uh, this is from an uh, Indian magazine, they had a whole story about this. Uh, the fallout of this has been very strong. Uh, the Chief Minister has been, um, has been had to resign. There are uh, commissions of inquiry, all kinds of uh, uh, professional bodies within the uh, organizations, like media organizations, as well as government bodies to investigate what happened. But it is an indication of that kind of debasing of public discourse, uh, you know, corrupting the professional ethics. Quite unusual, I must add, for India, because despite its poverty, it had a, a, a pretty sophisticated press. Um, Television, as I said earlier, television until 1991 was state controlled. But the press was very diverse and very vocal and very independent. When I was growing up in Delhi, we, you know, we had a dozen newspapers from extreme left to extreme right. You don't get that in London. And these newspapers had reasonable readerships. Um, so, you know, it was a very diverse and interesting um, media system. And I think some of that is still to be seen in this uh, soft news, infotainment-driven media. Um, when I say there are 80-plus channels, uh, of course a lot of them have Bollywoodized content, but there are 
a few at least, um, which are keeping the debate going, which are actually opening up possibilities for a more um, inclusive, um, a more open political discourse. And here, here are two examples. Um, one from um, NDTV, which is the, um, to my mind, the most serious network, um, New Delhi Television. It's run by this guy in front, Roy um, Roy, who was actually a former professor. So he's not your typical journalist. He has a certain, um, he's on our advisory board at this India Media Center. And I spent a, an hour with him last week, and he was absolutely delightful uh, as a, um, as a uh, person to talk to. And, you know, there's a sense that they're, they're doing something which is not just about making money. They have a different agenda. They want to raise the standard of broadcast journalism in India. And that's very heartening for me. On the other side, you have this, um, an example of um, media effect, if you like. Here you have um, CNN IBN, which is a collaboration with CNN and, and uh, IBN, which is an Indian uh, news network. Uh, TV18 is that group. Um, where you have a picture of the, the main um, anchor, Rajdeep Sardesai, talking to India's uh, uh, finance minister. And they had a whole campaign about tax, tax cuts and the government eventually, according to them, agreed to reduce taxes. So they're saying, well, we, we, we highlighted this and there was a reaction. So there are examples few and far between, but they do exist where you have a kind of uh, public-oriented private media, which is concerned not just about peddling soft news or infotainment, but has a slightly more sophisticated agenda which is, uh, you know, in keeping with what is happening in a, in a major economy like India's. But that is still the exception rather than the rule. And this is my final slide, and I'll stop off that. There are serious questions about what is happening to news generally, especially among the more popular variety. NDTV, and these are watched by is a small minority of educated opinion. But there's a huge mass of population there which watches some version of Bollywoodized content. It's frightening to see that in many of these 24-7 news networks, there's absolutely no news about foreign affairs. Nothing. This is a major country with major interests. If you watch the Russian news, there's this regular section on foreign affairs every day, not on popular channels. So what you have is, is basically a privatization of public culture um, and undermining everything that has to do with the public. Public is inefficient, public is corrupt, therefore public has to be discouraged. Private is efficient, private is good, private is um, to be uh, restored. That's sort of broader ideological shift, if you like. I've already referred to the notion of paid news, but there's also increasing evidence of partisanship of news, especially in southern parts of India, where you have news channels very clearly identified with particular 
parties or even individuals. And they are quite clear that we don't believe in objective journalism, we pursue a particular position. So Murdoch and Foxification of news. Because of this commercial imperative, the primacy of that commercial imperative, there is a growing tendency to trivialize and sensationalize material and also to make it, it's like it's a classic American model. You make it at a level which is accessible to everybody, to dumb it down. And you can make it then into different versions for different types of media outlets. Remember, one of the most exciting changes is the mobile telephony and mobile uh, media. India has the largest number of mobile telephones in the world. Of course, in a system which um, is primarily driven, driven by advertising, advertisers have a huge influence. And advertisers, as everywhere, knows, uh, as, every, as, as, as uh, everywhere in the world, advertising is largely from big business. So you cannot afford to antagonize big business. As a result, critical, controversial education programs lose out, which is a real tragedy in a country where 400 million people are illiterate. A country which was the first in the world to use satellite television for education, way back in the 1970s. Apart from the state sector, where they said, okay, we should have a channel which is for education, the private networks are not bothered at all. They're so obsessed with this crime, cricket and cinema that they have never really looked at this the commercial potential of educational television. But the most, I think the crucial point, and I want to end on that, which is also the core argument of my book, is that this works as a kind of very skillful diversion you displace things that really matter from public discourse. And you fill that discourse with things which are not really important. What Shah Rukh Khan is wearing, what his latest film is like, who scored how many runs in a particular match. And in the process, you legitimize a particular kind of ideology. And that ideology is based on uh, neoliberalism. So this soft news has a very hard self as I've tried to indicate, extremely hard sell. And they're there to basically legitimize a particular version of neoliberalism. On that note, I'll stop. Thank you. Thank you.